I've just about had enough of you. I think you'll be able to respect a husband who's probably pulled the scientific boner of all time. In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Irony, one of the funniest forms of humor. I have made a woman. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. Think all is never wrong. Never. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, hello, and welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots with me, Matt Brown, hello, and Stephen Murray. Hello, you covered your bases there. <laughs> Did One thing I think we should do, which we haven't done for a little while, especially as we are at the beginning of a new season, is just say, what the hell, what, what are we doing? Clogging up people's ear holes. We're trolling the junkyard of robots between 1927 and uh, 1977. Yes. Book ended by two beautiful robots. There's just this uh, great wasteland of metal, twitching metal with red eyes. You got <laughs> you got two beautiful robots in 1927, Maria in Metropolis, and in 1977, the robot what was based off of Maria, lookwise C-3PO in Star Wars. But as you say, in the middle, there's just, well, it's just, I mean, they're just, just, just awful, awful Ooh. robots, with some exceptions. A couple that stand out and trample say. on the rest. Now, next film on our slate for viewing is the 1967 King Kong film called King Kong Escapes. <laughs> I would really recommend you take a listen to the, I think it's the final episode of season six, where we did a little sideborg episode on gorillas in films, um, particularly gorillas in robot films, uh, of which you'd be surprised how many gorillas crop up along the way, along our journey. I suppose this is maybe the the most explicit <laughs> go- gorilla robot crossover, isn't it, that we've that we've seen so far? Well, just going back, King Kong has appeared in 24 movies. So there's there's King Kong in 1933, a film which we have discussed at length in our mm-hmm. Cyborg episode about the influences and uh, what it influenced and the kind of social atmosphere, climate that was going on at the time. Um, then, But also in 1933, a film was released called Son of Kong, which was its sequel. So King Kong grossed $10 million and Son of Kong grossed uh, $600,000. It was very hastily brought out that the effects were, that the actual suit that they used was really terrible. Right. I mean, we're going we're gonna to talk about a film where the suit isn't exactly brilliant. Yes, in the King Kong Escapes film. <laughs> um, so after Son of Kong, then in 1962, we've got King Kong versus Godzilla. And then in 1967, we've got King Kong Escapes. And from my my research, the the King Kong versus Godzilla film and the King Kong Escapes films are sort of co-pros between Universal and Toho. So it's yes. like a US-Japanese co-production. Yeah. And that is really important um, for, for lots of reasons, I suppose. But one of them is that the way the film is is kind of shot and when you actually watch the film yeah um it's it's a sort of quite a strange experience to my my 2024 eyes and brain the japanese releases can be very different to the uh, 
Universal releases. Right. You mean in the edit? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the films were made primarily for the um, Japanese audience, and then they would be re-edited, and then they would have stars like Raymond Burr, who was famous for Ironsides, popped in and things like that, and and uh, with with more Western actors in there. Would they include the Japanese actors in those scenes, or would it yeah, just be later on, cutaways with, <laughs> so, with Rod Steiger? In the in the hearsay period which is 1984 to 1995 they would uh, they would incorporate it all together yeah and, and shoot the lot but during the shower period which is 1954 to 1975 uh, which starts with the original king kong um they would re-edit and then reshoot some things right okay so you've got four periods here so, normally associated with godzilla but it can be associated with the entirety of the toho output which is showa 54 to 75, Hesse, which is 1984 to 95, Millennium, 1999 to 2004, and Rewa, which is 2016 up to present. Okay. And so we're in the, is it Showa we're in? We're in, in Showa. In, in, yeah. With King Kong Escapes. Yeah, the ridiculous part of Showa. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, the film has American cast members and Japanese cast members. Yeah. And it took me quite a long time to sort of like figure this out. But you've got the Americans. Well, so the Americans are speaking English, but it's dubbed. So, yeah. so, so they. So, so I was watching the the American release of this film. So you've got the the actors. So you've got uh, Rhodes Reeson, <laughs> brilliantly named Rhodes. Excellent Reeson, name. And Linda Jo Miller, who are the two sort of key American actors in this who are both speaking English, but in the the version I'd, I've seen, it's, their voices have been redubbed. Um, in the case of, I don't know who did Rhodes Reeson's voice, but... In I, the I case, think he did his own voice. He did his own voice, did he? Yeah. In the case of Linda Jo Miller, it's Julie Bennett yeah. who does it. And apparently she hated her dub voice, Linda Miller, in the American version. Yeah, and she was furious. I can, I can completely understand that. Yeah, but the reason why she couldn't dub her, hers and Rhodes Reeson could dub his is because he was part of the Screen Actors Guild. And uh, she was only a model and still residing in Japan at the time, and so transportation costs to New York would have been prohibitive. Oh wow! Yeah, so that's the reason why she didn't get to redo her her lines. It's quite amazing. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, she sometimes sounds like the wolf from the cartoons who's trying to get Lamsey, uh, and then then all of a sudden she'll sound like Scylla Black. <laughs> she sounds so like Kong! Kong! King Kong! <laughs> it's because her voice is all like that, isn't it? <laughs> so it's, it's all at the back of, her, back of her throat, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> Hasn't he got lovelier? <laughs> Um, but it's so weird because it looks so it looks dubbed even though they're saying their mouths are saying the same words that you're hearing it's just slightly off and that's very strange especially for the the Japanese actors it just looks very weird weird isn't it and then the Japanese actors are speaking Japanese I assume but but for the American um, version it's obviously they're dubbed into English yeah um, I mean, and and also like 
it's sort of, a, it's a weird, you know, we've spoken before about yellow face in films. I don't know if, if there's a sort of vocal equivalent, but <laughs> the, the sort of like the, the villain of the piece who's played by the actor uh, Hideo Amamoto, his voice was then dubbed by an English voice actor uh, called Paul Fries, who was sort of approximating a kind of Japanese accent in the in the film. So it's a bit, it's all a bit weird and awkward. After all these years of labor, success has come. He will bring out 10,000 tons of X, this robot. Is this the bottom of the woke barrel? <laughs> you mean <laughs> I'm being too woke with this? Or... <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't know I, I think it's uh, quite interesting. I think somebody would, would we, do, I think the benchmark is, would we do that today? I don't think we would. Well, there you no. go. Here we go. Um, all the fuss about Apu in The Simpsons, oh, yeah. who, is, okay. who is now revoiced by an actor who is sort of like appropriate, I suppose. Yeah. So I suppose we wouldn't do it that way now, would we? No, we wouldn't. I'll find an article about The Simpsons voices because it is interesting. But yeah, I think you're right. I don't think we would do, we would have this configuration today. If we were to make redo King Kong Escapes... No, we wouldn't. But also, I mean, it's so weird, isn't it, that you've got you've got a, you've got a a shoot where half the cast are speaking English and half the cast are speaking Japanese in the same scene, like they're acting to yeah. each other. I don't know how I don't know how that works. Uh, actually, I noticed that the the cast was very multicultural. Yeah, the main non Americans are mainly Japanese actors. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the guy who's playing Commander Jiro Nomura. He's Japanese. Madame Piranha is Japanese. And also, I've just seen the person playing King Kong was Japanese as well. <laughs> he played the original Godzilla. Did he? He did. He was the, he's, he's a pioneering suit actor. Haru Nakajima. Yeah. Brilliant. He's, he's played, he's played uh, Godzilla, I think, about um, 12 times. Amazing. Including the original 1954. Absolutely amazing. I know. Yeah, so uh, this film is actually quite hard to find, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Internet Archive has a copy. Internet Archive is brilliant, but it's incredibly slow. Yeah, it is, and, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, very, very slow. And um, it's it's a bit like Wikipedia. It relies on uh, people donating. But I, I think it's an amazing bank of, of, of films and TV programs. Uh, it's the Wayback Machine. It's it's just full of wonders. I'll link to the film via yeah. the Internet Archive so people can watch it if they want to. I quite uh, enjoyed it. Did I you? Really, I did, honestly. I, I wasn't to begin with. I mean, there were some cracking lines in it. I did really laugh when I found out that that character was called Doctor Who, and Doctor Who comes out with this wonderful line, I shall soon let my Kong show you that he can certainly do the job. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant it's like it's been sort of trans they've they've put the script had to put the script through google translate you sure you didn't just build a giant toy a toy that's an insult how can you say that it is the strongest thing there is in the world today need i remind you how i feel about that uh, but let me just quickly run through the plot 
Oh, wow. I was actually going to tease you about that because uh, when I was watching it, I was thinking, how the hell is he going to do this? Oh, God. But I, I mean, one of my, I think one of my criticisms of the film, because I did not enjoy this film, um, oh. was that this, it is the, the story is like wafer thin and it has, is spread over um, <laughs> an hour and a half. It's just so long. Okay, so there's a villain called Doctor Who who has created a Mecha Kong in order to dig for a valuable but highly radioactive mineral called Element X, which is only found at the North Pole. Mecha Kong <laughs> kind of fails in this task very early on. And so Doctor Who <laughs> decides <laughs> that he's going to kidnap the real Kong to do the job. And uh, while while all that's going on, some Americans who are who are part of a kind of I don't know, like a sort of NATO Pale- or UN sort of thing, aren't they? Uh, yeah, the kind of official paleontologists. Or- yeah, it's sort of like countries working side by side in harmony. And there are um, some a couple of Americans and a Japanese uh, lieutenant who uh, have sort of independently of what's going on with Doctor Who have found King Kong, and King Kong has fallen in love with. Uh, Lieutenant Susan Watson. So they that then plays out at the end when uh, Kong is kidnapped. Kong escapes from his cell and slightly runs amok with the Mecha Kong in Tokyo, only for Lieutenant Susan Watson to sort of talk him down. So it's very similar. I mean, the storyline is very similar to King Kong in you know in that sense, um, except with a giant robot Kong. Except with a giant robot Kong. Now, my first question about the... <laughs> about my enjoyment of this film. <laughs> no, about the story is, is it ever explained why Doctor Who has decided to build a Mecha Kong to dig and, and not some sort of more appropriate digging machine? <laughs> Uh, no, no, okay. no, because he does. I mean, when Kong starts to dig it out, he does have appropriate digging machines because we see them. Yeah, it does seem odd that, doesn't it? Yeah, there's Element no reason X, to Element build. X doesn't go anywhere either. No, anyway, that's <laughs> that's very strange. So, there's no reason to build no. the Mega Kong. No, the, the uh, a bit I loved at the beginning was that the the um the sort of UN paleontologists, uh, Commander Carl Nelson, Lieutenant Commander Jiro Numora, and Lieutenant Susan Watson are all sort of like bobbing around on a submarine. <laughs> they, yeah. they sort of get from place to place on a submarine. And very, very quickly. They in do this get, film. yeah, very quickly. They get to places really quickly. And Lieutenant Susan Watson is the medic on the sub. Um, but the, <laughs> the the kind of the she's the only woman on the sub, or that we see anyway, dressed and, as a trolley dolly for on an aeroplane. <laughs> yeah, and the men they just don't know what to how to handle. They're being oh, there's a woman on. So the the first one of the first scenes we see is her walking through the submarine and interacting with some sailors or submariners. They're probably called on. Oh, with a good looking nurse like out on board, I wouldn't mind running a favour. Just remember, sailor, I've got lots of castor oil in sick bay, and you too. Yes, sir, ma'am, lieutenant. <laughs> they just don't, they can't handle the fact that they're speaking to a woman, which I thought was excellent. 
There's uh, a scene like that in a Bond film as well. I think right. it's The Spy Who Loves Me. There's a, it's a, it's a, a, almost identical. Not the one where uh, he's trying to find a doctor and he f- finds out she's a woman. Good afternoon. Can I help you? Yes, my name is Bond. James Bond. I'm looking for Dr. Goodhead. You just found her. A woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I say as we've as we've evoked Bond. Yes, I mean, exactly. Bond is very it's very Bondy, isn't it? This film, particularly very. Doctor Who, the villain, who must have been based on Doctor No, surely. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, he's based on Doctor No. So, um, I think I think what spurned all of this was You Only Live Twice from 1964, which is set in Japan. Uh, yeah. And the Japanese loved it. This is when they they sort of really came into loving James Bond and giving him the nickname Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Brilliant. And of course, um, uh, Madame Piranha was would play the part of Kissy Suzuki in You Only Live Twice as well. Hamamea. Great. So she she'll be known to America uh, to Japanese audiences from yes. that film. Yes. Very much so, and I think the whole aesthetic of the film comes from from Bond movies and Thunderbirds. <laughs> yeah, it does completely. It's so yeah. Thunderbirds and so Bond. I mean, the Bond. So, so Doctor Who um, has a, a great look. He's got this. He does, doesn't he? Wonderful sort of bouffant of grey of, of various shades of grey hair. Fifty shades of grey. I was just going to say that. <laughs> well, just bring in a whole different element, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> um, and he's got he's got this uh, he's got a black cape. I mean, yes, he, look, he does. He does look. I, I like a, his look. Do you know what? It's a three quarter cape, Matt. <laughs> You just don't get them anymore, do you? You don't, no. It's lovely. And his collar is beautifully lined in white. And yeah. he's got a and he's got a clasp. The thing that I could not get over with Doctor Who though was the state of his teeth. Oh don't. I, I found it very uncomfortable. Because he's got I, but, but it's, he's got this immaculate set of top teeth. And his bottom teeth are I mean well, Are they there? They're they're stumps, aren't they? they they're are, it's yeah. sort of Shane McGowan esque. Yeah. And I don't know uh, why why that was. I tried to find out. I mean, I suppose that all of his teeth were probably like that, but he'd got, only got one. He'd got false set in the top, <laughs> not in the bottom. It, I mean, it made him a little bit more unpleasant as a villain. It, but... it did absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but felt... I just every every time he was on and monologuing, I just couldn't. I just kept staring. Yeah, it was. It was strange, wasn't it? I suppose, like you're saying that that in. Um, in Bond villains, they've always got like a scar or something, haven't they? Yeah, it's this thing about uh, using a disability as a villainous element. That's right. Yes, and so the teeth, the teeth, sort of, you know, subbed for that this time, didn't they? And the um, you're right about it looking like Thunderbirds as well, because I thought the vehicles were very Thunderbirdsy. Weren't I thought they? they did them really well. Yeah, they did. The There's lots of nice model great. work, I think, in this. Yeah. And I think that's what I really enjoyed about it. Yeah. And, uh, the, the plot was just, it just was all over the place. And the fact that Kong swam all the way from the North Pole to uh, Tokyo. <laughs> yeah. That's good. It's just insane. It's very clever. Yeah. And yeah. And his the, lair was quite good. His lair was good. Yeah. yeah. I just think that there wasn't much to it. I, I felt like it could have been done in 45 minutes. Felt like oh, an episode completely. of a TV show rather than. Yeah. 
Well, it was based on the animation series. It right. was based on a couple of episodes of that. So, yeah, it could have easily been cut down. Yeah. It was very colourful. I think, do you know what? I think I messaged you when you asked me what it was like, and I said, it's for kids and it's very colourful. And I think kids of a certain age would love this. Yes. Because yeah. Mecky Kong's suit is is quite good. The yes, I'd say that the the look of the look of Mecha Kong was quite good. The look of Kong was awful. Oh my god, that suit! I'd seen better days. It's it's terrible, isn't it? And it's, and it's like the whole head is just made of papier mâché, and, and it just looks like it's made of papier mâché. Yeah, it's terrible. And then there's a point where he's he's sat down in the lair, and you just see the bottom of his foot, and it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. At it's all. just flat and and worn. Yeah, it is flat and worn. And that's not to take away anything from Haru Nakajima, the no. the actor inside King Kong. Uh, inside Mecha Kong was Hiroshi Sakita. And who also, I think, um, there's a scene where King Kong battles at, like a um, T-Rex sort of dinosaur. And and Hiroshi was in the, the, the dinosaur suit there as well. There was a lot of jumping and kicking in there. I loved it. Yeah. I quite like that sort of stuff, I have to say. Uh, that's definitely Showa. That's that kind of madness. Yeah. Okay, so let's describe Mecha Kong. He's a very gunmetal grey. Yeah. So so what, what do you I mean, how tall do you think Kong and Mecha Kong are supposed to be in this? Uh they're both the same height. Yeah. But like fifty feet tall? Something like that. That's probably like two houses like on top of each other, isn't it? Four. Yeah, about the height of four houses on top of each other. Yeah. It looks like an ape that's covered with armour. Yeah. Uh, completely covered. And it's got like a uh, what looks like a utility belt. Oh, he, yes, he's got those little bombs, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, they're little bombs that he chucks down. And he's got a like a slot on his head for a mind control <laughs> ray. Thing. Yeah. His, his unique weapon is a pair of torches in his eyes a pair of headlamps yeah <laughs> so he's got like what look like they should be laser eyes but it's yeah. not it's just they just they just emit normal light yeah they just switched on and off <laughs> um okay so so we're gonna rate him we've got two we we now have decided we're gonna rate a, a robot in two categories what they look like and are they fit for purpose so what do you what are you going to give the the Mecha Kong for looks? Three, three. Yeah, I thought yeah. I think so. I think he looks good. I I don't yeah. don't, don't not like his look. Yeah, yeah. Um, fit fit for purpose. Fit for purpose. I'd say, well, maybe zero or maybe one <laughs> because he did, he, he did slip <laughs> on the ice. He's terrible at at digging out Element X. Yeah. So he. We're going to give him a 5 out of 10 by adding our two totals up. So I'm afraid that uh, Mecha Kong from King Kong Escapes in 1967 is a shit robot. Yeah, if he had a better weapon, if he you know, got about a little bit more, maybe yeah. he would be up there. Yes. And he did fall to bits fairly easily he did. <laughs> when he, when he fell off the tower. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So there we go. We've done it. King Kong Escapes, 1967, done. Let's draw a three-quarter cape over this one. <laughs> um, we are 
slowly making our way forwards, though, through time to get to 1977. Um, we're still going to be in 1967 for the next episode. If you want to watch it before we talk about it, the film that is next on our slate is The Terranauts, a UK production. And the <laughs> the sentence that I've got that describes it here on my website is, says director Montgomery Tully's shoddy and inept sci-fi film. So, something to look forward to. We're in. <laughs> we're in. Well, actually, we're in because it's got Charles Hawtrey in and Patricia Hayes. I mean, how bad can it be with those two in? It's going to be cosy. It's going to be cosy catastrophe, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, of course it is. Right, so we're going to watch that next time. Please join us for that. Uh, Until then, have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.